There really is a sense of victory and a sense of joy uh, here today, and we're grateful for that. If you're joining us online, no matter where you are in the world, we're glad that you've tuned in. If you're here in Atherton, we know that you would be here today if you could be here today. Uh, but uh, God bless you, and we pray that already be ministered to by the presence of Jesus. And now as we come together to take our thoughts to His Word, I pray God will bless you and speak to you and uh, just do you good. This week I had a phone call from a, a neighbour of ours um, out, at, uh, out at Millstream. And uh, she called up and she said, David, I need to let you know that the fence on our property was cut and my horses got out onto the road. And I suspect that the people who did that may have sabotaged uh, your backhoe or your grader. Um, probably just need you to come and check that out. So we went and had a look and sure enough, someone had stolen... Uh, some fuel out of our backhoe and uh, just turn to him and say, stealing's not good. Just, just turn to your other neighbour and say, you don't look like a thief to me. Go ahead and tell him. You're looking pretty sharp. You're looking, you're looking particularly not suspicious uh, today. John chapter 10, I guess, is a, is a famous um, verse uh, in the Bible, a lot, of, a lot of people would know John chapter 10, verse 10. Not everyone here today would know it necessarily. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, which is appearing on the screen, we, we, read, we, read, this, we read this verse. And if you, you know, were fortunate enough to go to Sunday school, give me a cheer. You, you probably heard this verse taught to you by some sweet, loving person who wanted you to know the reality of what this verse says. So who's never seen this verse before? Yeah, good. That's great. Glad. But in John, John chapter 10 is actually what we call the, uh, the shepherd's discourse. There's three stories, three parables, three kind of narratives that Jesus is telling. And, and, and this sort of verse is where a lot of people come to and go, because there's just so much condensed into this verse. And so I thought today we might try and pull it apart. It says in John 10 verse 10 that the thief comes to steal, uh, to kill and to destroy. But then Jesus contrasts himself to this individual called the thief. And he says, I've come with a different purpose. Someone say purpose. Come with a different purpose, with a different motive, with a different reason for being here. I've come that you might have life, that you might have life in its fullness and in its abundance. That's, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. So let's just go through these points at a time. I'm going to break this verse apart this morning. And hopefully like a loaf of bread, you'll be able to take away something that's nourishing and useful and helpful to you. Who remembers what Pastor Matt spoke on last Sunday? Who remembers? Now that's an important question. Fantastic. Someone's quickly going back through their notes going, what did he say? What did he say? I've got to look spiritual. But it's really important because I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this, that... There's always somebody trying to steal something from us. And Jesus told us the parable of the sower that went out to sow, right? And that seed that was sown for some hearts was quickly stolen, was, was quickly lost. It, was, it quickly had no meaning. It had no fruitfulness in it. And so that's why I would encourage you that when you receive something from God, that you hang on to it and you take possession of it because there's always somebody out there wanting to steal something off you. So number one, point number one is here comes the thief. Well, who is the thief? Uh, well, in this discourse, the shepherd's discourse, there are a whole bunch of people that Jesus is using this parabolic kind of conversation, this narrative kind of discussion. 
And uh, of course, you'll all say, well, the thief is Satan. But in the context, let's be clear, in the context for correct uh, exegesis, hermeneutical practice, let's be clear that the thief in John chapter 10, verse 10, is not Satan himself. Jesus in John chapter 10 is talking about false teachers. He uses language like thieves and robbers. He uses language like hired hands. He speaks about wolves and he speaks about those that uh, don't have the heart uh, of the father. They're not the shepherd. And so in John chapter 9, which is where this whole story starts, a blind man is receiving a healing. You know, he's the guy that Jesus heals and they don't, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious rulers, they can't understand what's going on. And so Jesus contrasts himself between false leaders, false teachers, and those that have got a heart for the well-being of others. Now we know, we know that ultimately the thief that is referred to here is best personified in the person of Satan, the devil. Can we agree on that? But he inspires others to do his dirty business. Have you noticed that? Have you seen the devil lately? But I've seen plenty of his friends. Do you know what I mean? And so we see something that's inspiring a course of action in our planet, in our world, that is not Christian, that is not godly, that is not Christ-like. And we need to be judicious enough to go, you know what, that's in the kingdom of God or that. You know the sniff test? You know the sniff test? You pick up a shirt and you go, yeah, yeah, got to wash that. A teenage boy doesn't know what the sniff test is, okay? He just doesn't know what a sniff test is. If it's not walking out the door, you can put it on again. The thief, someone is coming to steal what you've got. Now, Satan cannot steal your salvation. Praise God for that. Praise God. He can't steal it. But what he does want to do is he wants to steal your strength. He wants to take your joy. If he can't take away what is secure, he'll try and undermine, he'll try and erode so that what you've got tends to tip over, fall over or, or get diminished in some way. Here comes the thief, point number one. Um, watch out because somebody is trying to steal something off you. Well, what could I do? I could put a padlock on the fuel cap of the backhoe, that would stop the thief from sucking the fuel out of my reservoir, out of my fuel tank. Would you, would you agree? But what about you? What, what way are you guarding your heart so that what's been entrusted to you is not being stolen? Because is it possible that you had more at some point in your life and somehow that's been what I know is this, that just as Jesus comes, so the enemy comes as well. The Bible says he comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he, praise God, may. Because he may devour some, but he will not devour me. Right? Because that's the dominion that's in our heart. I, I am clothed with something that's greater than what's in this world. And it's just so important for Christians to know their authority. I've got the ability to arrest stealing thoughts and stealing attitudes and stealing, you know, uh, situations. I'm like, hang on a minute, I'm not going into that environment because that will rob from me. Yeah. yeah? yeah. So number one, the thief is here. He comes. And uh, unfortunately, we, we can't get out of this world until we get into that world. And the only door from that world 
This world is that sad experience we call death, right? It's sad in one sense in that we are parting from our loved ones, but it's also a victory moment of celebration because it's promotion to the eternal presence of God. That's the hope that believers have. Can I get a witness in this place? And I don't mean to diminish anybody's grief here today that if you are grieving, and you, it's right to grieve. It's normal. It's healthy to grieve, right? But it's more than grief that we have when we've got the conviction that our home is heaven. Can I get a witness here this morning? Stealing is wrong. Do you know why stealing is wrong? Because God wants you to have stuff. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt and God gave them the moral code, the moral law, which we call the Ten Commandments, one of the things that He did to teach slaves how to become human was teach them His principle of His kingdom. In that camp, they behaved that way. But over here in this camp, we don't do that. So when, when, when the Lord said to the children of Israel, don't steal. Do you know what he was saying? He was saying, what you've got, you can own. Personal property rights. We take that for granted, don't we? We have that codified and enshrined in our law, don't we? Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that if something does get stolen, the police will come? And the wonderful judicial system we have in Australia will mean justice will be done. If only it always worked like that. But I want to tell you this, having traveled into some other parts of the world, let's be grateful for what we do have. Yeah, let's be grateful for what we do have. Yeah. But when God brings slaves into becoming humans, he says, I want you to have stuff and I want you to have nice stuff. I just don't want the nice stuff to have you. But when the children of Israel heard that, they didn't go, oh, not fair. I can't go and pinch old mate's ute. He, they heard that as, you mean I can actually have stuff and it's mine? Yes. That's what it means to be a human. That's the dominion that God wants you to have. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. Yeah. He wants you to be above and not beneath. He wants you to have the capacity to lend to many nations and not need to borrow. He didn't call us to rent the land. He called us to possess the land, right? That is what God's heart and desire. And so then he wants to steal from us whatever he can. He'll steal your marriage if he can. He'll steal your sanity if he can. He'll steal your peace. He'll try and rob whatever it is that's loose and lying around. That's why we should hold fast the things that God's given to us. When we receive a revelation from God, we ought to hold that and lock it up in the vault of our heart and go, that seed is planted and that seed is mine. Number two is stealing. Number three is killing. Killing. Well, of course, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. But I wonder, I wonder in which ways we collaborate with the enemy to kill our chances. I'm going to just pause here for a minute. It could be that we're actually collaborating with somebody that's only interested in these three things. Stealing, killing, and destroying. I'm always amazed that people want to lay the blame at God's feet for when bad stuff happens in the world and in their life. And not realizing that there is an enemy an arch enemy of God that the scripture unmasks and he's loose on the planet and he wants to influence negatively the course of human life. Something's trying to, to kill what you've got. 
Satan hates it. When he sees you in relationship with God, when he sees you in covenant relationship with your brothers and sisters, he hates that. Do you know why? Because it reminds him of what he used to have. He used to be the worship leader in heaven. But now that opportunity is gone from him and we've been invited into this incredible environment of just beholding him face to face, torn veil and all, so we can see his glory and his goodness. But is there a possibility that we find ways to kill our own chances of success, to kill our own chances of promotion, to kill our chances of moving ahead in life? Is it possible? They say that procrastination is the thief of time. Time is something that we all have, right? And yet we find ourselves sometimes in this wrong side of the ledger going, I'm wasting, I'm stealing, I'm... You see, worry doesn't fix tomorrow's problems, it just steals today's joy, right? What have we done? We, we've slipped off the right page and we've begun to behave in negative ways that when we read this verse, we go, hang on, that's not the life that Jesus brought for me. How do I change? How do I make that adjustment? When I find these things lurking and luring in my life, I go, wow, that, that's not for me. Have you done that recently? Have you been tempted to step in the wrong direction? You go, actually, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go the other way. Have you found the way of escape and moved away from that invitation towards death? If there was a great big sign that sort of neoned up when the moment comes and goes, killer at work, enter here. We would stay away from that, wouldn't we? Because we, we, we'd be kind of intelligent. And yet the devil always wants to masquerade things as better than what they are. Sin will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. It'll always take you further than you wanted to go. And it'll always keep you longer than you intended to stay. That's sin. It's the invitation to fulfill a righteous desire through an unrighteous means or avenue. Sin has wages. Someone should write that down. Sin has got wages. Do you know what wages sin pays? They're pretty tall. They're pretty high. They're pretty serious. The wages of sin is death. It's not a bad hair day. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of, of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Satan comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. There's something destructive and corrosive about the character and nature of the devil. Do you know the word devil literally means to wear through? Like you got a piece of sandpaper and you wore out a paddle pop stick and you wore it right through? That's what the word devil means, to wear us down. Wow, somebody's going to get that today and say, I don't want to be feeling like that. I want him made of better stuff. I don't want to get worn out. I want to get polished up. Isn't it amazing that there are some people who would say, I'd rather nobody have it if I can't have it kind of attitude. And so we read these horrific accounts in our media of where a man who's been with a woman will kill her and the epitaph is, that the statement is, well, if I can't have you, nobody will. Do you know what kingdom that's from? Steal, kill, and destroy. Let's be clear. Let's be really clear, Destiny. 
that there is another force at work in the world besides the church and the message of Christ. And we're up against that. Our flesh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is not a human fight. It's not a personality thing, right? There is a battle going on. And we ought to be aware of it and equipped for it because the thief comes and so does Jesus. And we've got to get on the right side. Can I get a witness here this morning? The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And unfortunately, we find find ourselves often drifting into these habits and these patterns which are really, really unproductive. And I'm just here to tell you today to say, hey, is it possible that in this moment, repentance could come to you and come to me and we can identify patterns of behavior that are actually destructive? You know, staying up till 3 a.m. playing video games is not illegal. Just look straight ahead. Just look straight ahead. The moment will pass quickly and it'll be preaching to somebody else. But just right now, look straight ahead and smile. Put on your most pious face. But Jesus sees your heart. It's not illegal. It's just probably not real helpful. Because you are stealing from tomorrow by trying to bring it into today. See, the way God's kingdom work is you plant today and you harvest tomorrow. The way the world, its message is get it now, live on credit now and I'll pay for it later. Stealing, killing and destroying our opportunities and our possibilities. Is it possible that in your life there are distractive habits that you've never said, wait a minute, wait a minute, That's got to change. Come on, why don't you be the preacher today and just point to yourself and say, calling you by your name, David, you need to change. Go ahead. Your your name's not David, so Shirley, don't say David. You say Shirley, okay? So point at yourself. Point at yourself, Lee. You need to preach this message, Lee. Adam, you need to preach this message for sure. Point to yourself and say, is it possible that you need to change? Insert your name here. Go. People are going, no, I'm perfect. Well, if you are, why don't you hop up and fly around the room so we can give you a little clap, all right? But the rest of us human beings, we need to hear this message of transformation because that's what Jesus brings. Aren't you glad for that? Is Aren't you glad that the gospel message is one of a path towards something better? Aren't you so glad for that? The path the enemy's on, steal, kill, destroy. I don't want any part of that. So when I find my mouth, my attitude of heart or my behavior drifting into that zone, I've got to take responsibility for that. Can I get a witness here today? I have to take a witness for that. I have to take responsibility for that and I've got to change. That's why I love coming to church because there is nowhere else in my week where someone will get up in my grill, get in front of my face and go, how you doing? Have a look at this. God's Word. Check out this mirror. I mean, you've been preening yourself to look good in front of others all week. And then God shows you His Word and says, Hey, I just want to remind you, you are beautiful. You are amazing. You are filled with potential. There is so much possibility written all over your life. 
There's so much within you, you can't begin to understand the agent of good that you are in the planet. Aren't you grateful for that? That his word is a life-giving word. So then we come to Jesus, that's the thief, and those that are playing for his team. But then we come to Jesus, and I love this, point number five, I have come. I just love this about Jesus. Jesus is not, I'll, I'll get there one day. I'll get around to it. Jesus is not gonna. I have come. Could you, could you just imagine hearing that? You've been beat up. You've been chewed up. You, you've been maligned and, and, and you've been outcast by the world and its system. But I've come to give you something completely and utterly, totally different to that. Does that sound like good news to you? Does that sound like gospel to you? And that's why, I love, that's why I love the church, because its message continues to go out into the world, all the world, and declare that there is hope, that there is life, that there's possibility, that resurrection is real. Yeah. And we are testament to that. We're not perfect yet, but boy, we're not what we were. Yeah. And God's doing something wonderful in our lives. Somebody just cracked a smile then for the first time in my preaching. I'm feeling like I'm getting a win. I have come. You know, Jesus is not on the sidelines shouting out of what you're doing wrong. John 3.17. I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to bring salvation to the world. Aren't you glad for that? Jesus is literally saying this phrase that I'm implementing and laying into the cultural DNA of our church. Jesus is saying, I'm on team. I am here. I have come. I've arrived. I'm not sitting back there with folded arms, spectating and looking at what this church doesn't do right. No one here doing that this morning. I'm not suggesting that they are. What I'm saying is that that's a spirit that mocks. It mocks our lives. And we just got to take up our arms against that and resist that in the name of Jesus and go, that's not why God came. That's not why Jesus came. I have come. Jesus is present. He's here. He's right now. He's there at 2 a.m. when you wake up and you're confused. He's there when you stare yourself in the mirror and go, I don't know what I'm going to do today. Jesus is there. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. I've come. Man, I'm so glad you're here, Jesus. I wasn't sure what was going to, I wasn't sure how this story was going to work out. But now that you're here, I know how this is going to end. I have come. I have come. I, I meant to come. I, 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 it's funny, I bump into people sometimes down the street, good, and they go, oh, I, I meant to be at church on Sunday. And it's like, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't have that you know, kind of attitude of heart. I, I meant to, you know. I meant to. I meant to bring a meal to share for church family barbecue, church family dinner. I meant to do that. Just look straight ahead. <laughs> I have come. I am so glad that Jesus comes in to the worst moments of our life and doesn't go, oh, what have you done now? What have you done now? When the lifesaver comes out into the waves, he doesn't sit on his board and go, what a terrible mess you've got yourself into. What? Now, let me tell you how you ended up out here. 
First, you're in the wrong costume. You shouldn't dress like that. It's very modest. The life saviour doesn't do that. He literally comes into action as soon as the hand is raised. Even if there's sharks in the water, the life saviour is there risking their life for the hapless swimmer. Am I right? All you live in the mountains don't know what a lifesaver is. They're strange looking creatures. They've got a particular costume that they wear, a little kind of funny hap, a little funny cap. It's an Aussie, particular Aussie tradition, that one. I have come so that you, that's point number six. Point number six, so that you. Do you know that Jesus is completely others focused? He is utterly others focused. And I'm saying to you, Destiny Church, that that's the transformation that's got to happen in our lives. That we are not focused on self, but we are completely and relentlessly focused on others. So that you may have. So that you may have. Are you spending your life in the service of other people? Or is your life really still all about you? You know, when... You want to identify a child. Look at the word child. And the middle letter of the word child is I. When it's all about I, we can just label ourselves as immature. But when you reach adulthood, you'll notice that in the middle of the word adult, this is deep revelation for some people in the fourth row. The middle letter of the word adult is actually you. And, and I was watching the T-shirt that preached to us last Sunday. Not even a single smile, Pastor Jonathan. You've got to wear that T-shirt again. I'm thinking every teenager girl should have a T-shirt like that. <laughs> it just looks so glittery and gorgeous. I'm thinking that's just lovely. It's, I'm not going to, Pastor Jonathan, I want you to wear that T-shirt again and preach that message to me because that was just so powerful. And now people are starting to remember, go, oh, Go and watch last week's video, find out what the joke's about. Are you living for others or is life still about you? Um, I, I can't preach this point in its fullness. I'm going to need to phone a friend. So I'm going to ask Sharon to come and tell a story about how, how you can live an others-focused life. Um, when we were pastoring on the Gold Coast, a message went out that they needed um, RE teachers for schools um, to teach Christian education in state schools. <clears throat> and the, um, the lady who was responsible for that across the Gold Coast was actually in our church. And a dear friend of mine, Gina, heard this message and she said, I would love to do something, Lord, but I'm, I'm not an upfront person. She had four beautiful girls who were all at primary school or at high school and she said, I want to do something, God. I know, you, I know you're touching my heart, but I can't do that. What can I do? And at the same time that God was speaking to her, God was speaking to me. I had a baby. I was at home. I'd given up teaching and I was desperate to get back into the classroom. I know some of you just think that is mental, but... To be truthful, I could handle 30 kids. I didn't know what to do with a baby. Comfort zones, right? So God's speaking to me and I'm going, oh, I would so love to be teaching RE in a state school, but I can't. And the amazing thing is that God brought Gina and I together 
so that she came to my house one morning for two hours, minded my baby, our baby, so that I could go and teach four RE classes. I just find that story so fascinating. I've thought about it so many times that when Holy Spirit is speaking to somebody, it's like you're an answer to someone's prayer. You are. You're carrying the answer to someone's prayer. You know. So I know that Adam would be awesome teaching RE in school. He'd be awesome being a chaplain and doing a breakfast program at the school. But who wants to volunteer to do four hours of mowing on a ride-on mower? so that Adam can go and do what God's stirring his heart to do. Who's got two or three hours to come in and do some vacuuming here in our church so that, do you see what I'm saying? If we operate in our grace zone, then doors opportunity will begin to facilitate through our obedience and through God working collaboratively and collectively together. Jesus says, I have come. And I'm asking this question, when Jesus comes, do you know what he brings? He brings life in its fullness. He brings Zoe. We're going to get to that in a moment. Our worship team are coming back. In a moment, I'm going to speak to you as always. We're going to close this service. We're going to come to a time of prayer. And I was going to say something really intelligent, but I got sidetracked by talking about, where was I? Doing what? You are an answer to somebody else's prayer, and, and that's all I remember. Um, others focused, living an others focused life, point number seven. The life that Jesus brings, oh yes, I remembered now. The life that Jesus brings, no, my name's not Joe Biden. The life that Jesus brings, <laughs> the life that Jesus brings is an amazing life. In fact, it uses this word Zoe. Someone say Zoe. It's not a cute girl's name. It, it is a, yes, it is a cute girl's name. I agree, I agree. It is a beautiful name. But what it literally means is a kind of quality of life that's not human. It's and not a human kind of life. It's an exotic, alien kind of life. It's a divine, eternal kind of life. It literally is the kind of life that the Bible uses to describe that God lives. It's God-like living. Hang on. Hang on. I just thought that Jesus wanted me to be full and happy. Yes, but no. I have come so that you might have life, the kind of quality of life, the kind of essence of life that God has. Somebody say dominion. See, that's the kind, someone say creative. That's the kind of life, someone say forgiving. That's the kind of life, someone say generous. That's the kind of life that's completely different and other to us. That's the kind of life. See, we get sold an invitation that Jesus wants to give us a new and improved version of our old life. Well, I'm not smoking weed, but I still smoke cigarettes. I don't beat up people, but I still kick the cat. I, I, I lost 13 people just then. Jesus hasn't come to give you a new and improved version of what you had. He's come to give you something completely and utterly and totally 
transformationally different. Why would you settle? Why would you settle for simply an upgrade when Jesus wants to give you transformational life? Zoe life is what's on offer. God, I want it. God, I want it. If that's what you came to give me, I want it. I don't want to just have what looks like it. I don't want a cheap, inferior, imitation kind. I want the real kind. I don't want a piece that's just based on, well, hubby came home tonight and he wasn't drunk. I want a piece that surpasses It overtakes, it puts the blinker on and it goes over and overtakes all my understanding. I want that kind of peace. Point number eight, and I'm finishing, Ruth, with this. I'm finishing with this. Point number eight. Are you ready? It's fullness. Now, I've got to be very careful here, Tim, because what I'm about to say is going to lead some people with childish minds that are not quite redeemed to think the wrong thing. I've warned you and you have been warned. All of us are full of something. And Aussies know how to tell each other what they're full of. But wouldn't it be amazing if actually they said, I notice that you're full of hope. I notice that you're full of love. I notice that you're full of faithfulness. I can see that you're full of goodness Gentleness is overflowing. It's in abundance in your life. There's a radiance about you that I can't understand or explain. I've watched you and there's something different about you. What is it? What is it? I've come so you might be full. There's some people here today and there's a siphon hose running out of your heart and out of your life. And God just wants to turn off that tap. You're that stealing killing and destroying system that's taking out of your life. He just wants to plug up those holes and go, I've got more than you can contain. I've got an abundance. I've got a zoe, a different kind of life, a different kind of living. Jesus said, I've come so that you might have life in all of its fullness. When you come home from work, what is your house full of? What did you bring? When you move into your work environment, what, when you step into your classroom, some of you educators, what did you bring into that environment? I have come so that, answer that question. Get a summary statement for your life. I'm here. I like to tell people I'm here from the government and I'm here to help you. That usually breaks the ice and gets a laugh. But it ought to be something about us as believers, right? I've come. They looked at James and Peter and John. They, they looked expecting to receive something. And Peter and James and John said, our money belts are at home. But what we do have, we're going to give it to you freely. Freely you've been given it. Freely you can release it to others. We're going to pray for the sick today. We're going to pray for Esther this morning who needs God's touch in her body. And there are other people here today that you need the touch and the power of God in your body, in your life. We're going to close this service in prayer and we're going to go for lunch together. But... Uh, Luca, when you're ready, I love you to bring precious little Esther and Narelle. I love you to come and stand here together as a family. We're going to pray. Others that need the power and the touch of God, 
uh, in their life. I'm not sure how many people prayed for me in my knee, but I'm just thanking God for every single person who did. And I'm just praising God for the miracle, you know. Several weeks ago, was it Luca, or a couple of months ago now, the Holy Spirit gave me a word about Theo just needing, well, I thought it was somebody else, but it turned out it was Theo needed a touch in his little stomach. Wasn't that right, Theo? And God touched you in a powerful way. We're going to believe for that again today for your sister in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet if you're able and comfortable doing that. You need prayer for healing. Come and find your place here at the front. We're going to say a prayer of blessing over the food because I know that some people are going to head out there and get started while the rest of us are seeking God in here. Spiritual ones will be in here. Hungry ones will be out there. If you need healing, or if you've got a friend that needs healing, I want you to come and stand at the front here today so that when you leave this place, you take away a gift of healing in the name of Jesus. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. If you're a leader in our house, come and stand with me and just stand behind one of these families, one of these individuals. Tim, why don't you come and stand with us as well? Jane, why don't you leave the keyboard and just let... Others, just come and stand together. Father, you're a miracle. If you've got a friend out here, come and find your place beside them. There's miracles in this room because Jesus is in this room. There's healings and there's answers. There's liberty and there's freedom in this room because Jesus is in this room. Father, today, we stand in the authority and in the robes of righteousness that clothe us because of what Jesus has done. And we are declaring today the healing virtue and power of Jesus. We thank You, Lord, for Your touch upon everybody, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Lord, we are declaring today freedom in the name of Jesus. Every wicked thing that would try to bring about an evil influence in our lives in our bodies, in our homes, in our hearts and in our minds. We bind you in Jesus' name and we declare freedom and liberty and authority is ours. You have come, Jesus, so that we can have life, the kind of life that God has. There's no sickness in heaven. Father, there's only peace and joy. We claim that promise upon our lives together today in Jesus' name. Lord, stretch and strengthen today every single life every body Lord we move from this building this venue today to lay hands on the sick because we are a going church we're a church that comes into a situation and sees it transformed by the power and life of God so Father let joy and peace settle as your healing rests upon us flows through us to others Lord this is our prayer in Jesus name in Jesus name to the glory of God to the glory of God to the glory of God worship you Lord we worship you Lord Jesus we worship you Lord Jesus you're a miracle working prayer answering God we will keep on praying we will keep on believing we will see the miracle We thank You, Father, but we refuse to give up. We accept and receive today what You are doing in and through our lives, that we are conduits of an anointing and a blessing 
through us to others, Father. I thank you for this. I thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, for minds that are anxious, for hearts that are troubled, for where there's strife in homes, we are speaking peace. We're taking authority over that spirit of strife in Jesus' name. We are proclaiming peace to the glory of God, to the glory of God. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The church said, Amen.